cultured Hollywood for smart people for Tuesday, August 27th, 2019. Oh boy, I'm Nico. I'm your host talking movies, television, music, and so much more in a way that smart people can enjoy them. Happy to report, ladies and gentlemen, pneumonia-free podcast. I want to thank everyone for their support in these trying times. But my body and this bit of audio goodness is now 100% pneumonia-free. What I am unhappy to report, on the other hand, is that my weird next-door neighbor just happened to decide to mow her lawn on a Tuesday afternoon as I'm trying to record this podcast. So you may hear some some grumbling, some rumbling, some grass being shed in the distance. As if my voice is not enough of an ear sore, you now have that extra white noise in the background. But that is the price that we must pay, the cross that I must bear to get you the pop culture news, information, and hot takes you so desire. Welcome back. Um... We got to talk VMAs. <laughs> Hate to spring it on you last second, but we got to talk VMAs because I watched it last night. Or I watched like two hours of it last night and then I gave up. <laughs> Man, I'm so out of the loop and I consider myself a pretty in the loop individual. Got my finger on the pulse of the music industry as well as Hollywood. So, I mean, I do a podcast about it. So I fancy myself, uh, I wouldn't say an insider, but at least someone that's well-read and well-versed in pop culture shorthand. I had no idea who half these people were on the VMAs last night. And that's, <laughs> that's a bit concerning. Let me read you some real names. I'm not making these up. This was not a comedy brainstorming exercise. Here are some real names of performers from last night's Video Music Awards, once a pop culture staple and now a bit of a punchline. ASAP Ferg, stylized with the money sign for the S, similar to ASAP Rocky, who Donald Trump evidently is a big fan of. Uh, ASAP Ferg, real performer. Bad Bunny. Not to be confused with his cousin, semi-tolerable Bunny. No, this guy's bad. <laughs> I just picture like Peter Cottontail with a do-rag when I hear that name. And I immediately am checked out. It's like, seriously, you're trying to become a mainstream pop artist? Adored by millions with the name Bad Bunny? Is that the least gangster name you've ever heard in your life? Imagine if one of the characters on The Wire was named Bad Bunny. How quick would it take for him to get his ass shot? Bad Bunny. Uh... Fetty Wap, I know Fetty Wap. Her, stylized, all lowercase, or maybe all uppercase, I should say. I don't know what this website's all about. H.E.R. Her. Not sure what that stands for. Um, J. Balvin. Lizzo. Lizzo was actually quite fire last night. I'm into Lizzo. Had no idea who this chick was, but I like heard her song in the background of the gym one time and uh, finally put a face to the name. I love this chick, Lizzo. 
Um, naughty by nature. Are they like old school? Am I just showing my whiteness right now? Normani. Not Ashanti. Normani. She's just like you and me. Azuna. I'm pretty sure a pitcher for the uh, <laughs> for the Seattle Mariners, right? <laughs> uh, Redman. Was he in Wu-Tang? I think so. Rosalia. It's unbelievable. It's it's truly unbelievable how out of the loop I am. And again, I know a fair amount of pop stars. Like when Sean Mendez and Camila Cabello sang their hot and steamy duet last night, I was in the loop. I knew what the hell was going on. Like Camila Cabello, former member of Fifth Harmony, who incidentally I saw in concert like three years ago. Don't ask. Uh was sort of in a weird platonic relationship with Sean Mendez, um, who, as far as I can tell, is like seven feet tall. He is the tallest teen heartthrob I've ever seen in my life. And he's got like an Elvis haircut. I really don't know what he's going for there. I don't know if he's trying to be Bieber, if he's trying to be Johnny Cash. He had like the whole Johnny Cash slung the guitar over his shoulder thing last night. But anyway, Sean Mendez, the, the strangest heartthrob I think I've ever seen. Most heartthrobs are like 5'9". You know what I'm saying? Like most heartthrobs you could, you could keep in your purse. That's the whole point. That's why they're cute and adorable. They're clean shaven. They have very minimal tattoos. They wear tight white tank tops. And <laughs> they're short. But Sean Mendez towers over Camila Cabello who um, I guess is now officially in a relationship with with Shawn Mendes. Um, they have this song together, and it's, of course, Latino, because uh, the song's called Senorita. And I love how Shawn Mendes and Camila Cabello have cornered the Latin market. Because when I think <laughs> Latin American music, I think a seven-foot-tall white guy with an Elvis haircut. Um, yeah, it was quite a sexy performance, I have to say. My sister was really into it. I should mention, that's the only reason why I watched the VMAs last night. My sister is obsessed with Shawn Mendes and the Jonas Brothers. And it's funny, the Jonas Brothers didn't even think to show up. They were like, or a couple of them were in the audience, I think, but they pre-recorded the performance like a week ago on the Jersey Shore in some weird uh, nightclub. Yeah, so like they like did their thing with fireworks and background dancers, and it was a whole production. I think they were in the crowd, but uh, yeah, the Jonas Bros are back in full force. Separate question, and I asked this to my sister last night, and she didn't have a good answer for me. So there are three Jonas Brothers. I know what two of them do. I don't know for the life of me what the third Jonas Brother does. So Nick Jonas, I know, is the hottest one, according to all the young girls in my life. They, they, love, they love the Nick Jonas. He's got the one song that everybody liked. And then, uh, is it Joe Jonas was in that band that sang Cake by the Ocean? So they both sing, and they like harmonize together, and they trade off. So 
I, I understand what they do. The third brother, who I believe is named Kevin Jonas as far as I can tell is like lightly strumming his guitar and the guitar isn't even plugged in. It's <laughs> he's like, I don't know if he's younger. I assume he's actually the oldest brother. He seems like the oldest brother. And I'm pretty sure this was the one on celebrity apprentice, but he's basically the make a wish kid of the Jonas brother crew. It's like Nick and Joe have to drag him along to all the events because their mom told them to. Hey, before you leave, take Kevin with you. Kevin's there. He's got his uh, his Mattel play guitar. <laughs> I want to be in the band too. Mom, Nick and Joe won't let me be in their band. So they let him in and they gave him a guitar and they pretended that it was plugged in, but no, <laughs> not a thing, man. I am so out of the loop on the video music awards. Remember when we actually used to watch this shit 10 years ago, by the way, this is the 10th year anniversary of Kanye storming the stage on Taylor Swift. Beyonce had the greatest music video of all time. 10 years ago. Remember when Britney Spears and Madonna made out? Oh my God, good times. Video Music Awards. Now I watch this thing. There's a guy named Big Bunny performing. And, <laughs> and they're giving out awards that have nothing to do with music videos. That's what I also realized. They gave out best music video halfway through the show. And then they just did like best single. Because everyone knows you don't watch music videos anymore. There were maybe a total of three and a half minutes devoted to actual music videos last night. Oh, man. It's, it was so silly. It was so silly. Then they have Sebastian Maniscalco hosting the thing. And Sebastian Maniscalco's like in his 50s. Excuse me. He's 46 years old. I just Googled it. But he's clearly way too old for this crowd. Out of the loop. A, a great stand-up comic in his own right. I'm a big Sebastian Maniscalco fan. Um, I would recommend each and every one of his stand-up specials available to stream on Netflix. Um, but man, him coming out, being like, yo, you millennials get triggered, am I right? There's a space, a safe space backstage for you snowflakes. Oh, I'm Italian. Oh, I felt so bad for him. It's a guy out of his element. Donnie, you're out of your element. Poor Sebastian. Um, I would not recommend ever watching the Video Music Awards ever again. Because this is probably the first one that I watched. Like, I actually sat down when it was airing and watched it live as opposed to seeing clips on Twitter after the fact. It's probably the first time I watched it in a good seven to eight years. And it's a lot different than I remember. And, um, man, Cardi B, what was that outfit last night? Oof. <laughs> Queen Latifah's there. John Travolta's in the house. John Travolta's dropping F-bombs. John Travolta, by the way, has seamlessly pulled off the Bruce Willis look 30 years later. He finally abandoned that that shitty hairpiece. He's going on natural. 
shave, little goatee, bald head of hair. Uh, yeah, John Travolta's finally owned his 60s. I'm happy for him. I'm happy for everyone last night that had a good time. I don't want to rain on your parade. Like, I know you were really excited about that Taylor Swift opening number. And that is where I'd like to transition to um, in this opening segment. Because you know my fascination with Taylor Swift. I'm not, like, a Taylor Swift fan, per se. I enjoy some of her music. Um, I think she has, like, two borderline incredible albums. Like, serious next caliber madonna prince michael jackson style pop albums like i think 1989 and red are just straight jams i will ride for those records until i die inject those albums straight into my veins that is my taylor swift so let's say at the very least i am an admirer of taylor swift from afar is that fair I don't necessarily love everything that she does, but man, do I respect it, and man, do I find this chick super interesting. <laughs> Mostly because, like, she's wicked famous, and wicked famous people will always be interesting. You know, what fame does to one's identity, to one's artistry, and the controversy that surrounds these figures, that conversation will always be rife with intrigue. Um, so I, I never tire of talking about Taylor Swift, the artist. But what I will say is that she's made a number of missteps over the years, and I understand some of her most vocal critics. Didn't we just talk about her a few weeks ago in the midst of the Scooter Braun um, copyright uh, drama? I think she just announced this week, as a matter of fact, she's going to be re-recording some of her original songs in order to get the rights back to those uh, to, to those albums. So that will be interesting. But I talked about her a few weeks ago in that context, not necessarily to take one side or the other, but to illustrate that at this point in time, Taylor Swift is a bit of an unreliable witness. And so when she gets into a battle with Scooter Braun or Kanye West or Kim Kardashian, we sort of label her as the boy who cried wolf. And part of that is because she's a massive pop star and massive pop stars from Madonna to Britney Spears to Taylor Swift, all women incidentally, are seen as a bit phony and a bit manufactured and at times duplicitous. So it comes with fame. It is the unfortunate price of being a, a famous uh, recording artist. So she's despised, but she's also very loved by her most vocal supporters, and she continues to remain relevant. And the fact that she's had, I don't know, what's it been now? A 15-year career that has only grown in notoriety and intrigue and conversation uh, is quite impressive. So that's why I will continue to follow Taylor Swift and why I will continue to talk about her on this podcast and ultimately why I will listen to every piece of music this woman puts out, <laughs> including this weekend's new record, Lover. Her follow-up to 2017's Reputation, which I thought was across the board abhorrent and unlistenable. <laughs> but I, I gotta tell you, this new record is a bit of a return to form. I think I'm into it. I think I'm pro-lover. 
Sue me. I would say it's probably a full step below 1989 and about a half step below Red. But this is exactly the type of music that I think Taylor should be making. If I was her manager, if I was her producer, if I was her label, this is what I would insist upon. Safe, middle-of-the-road, catchy pop tunes with an uplifting message and perfect for a summer barbecue. This is it. If you can't play Taylor Swift music on the beach, it ain't Taylor Swift music. That's my take. And it's what strikes me every time I go back and think about her career progression. Because believe it or not, that's something I do from time to time. It just strikes me how difficult she makes this on herself. How difficult it is to pin down the real Taylor Swift. And I know this is a tale as old as time. I know every pop diva in the history of man has struggled with personal identity and artistic ambition. I just think this is what she does well. I think she does this better than the reputation thing. I think she does this better than the old country thing. I just think mainstream pop music is her wheelhouse, and I see no reason to deviate from the path. Folks, people need McDonald's. Sure, they also need the Olive Garden. Sure, they also need Red Lobster. Sure, they also need Outback Steakhouse. But what people really need is McDonald's. They need Burger King. They need Wendy's. It's accessible. It's safe. One batch of McDonald's fries ain't going to taste that much different from the next. It's dependable. It's always there. And everyone can agree on it. There's nothing wrong. I repeat, there is nothing wrong with making mainstream pop music for a barbecue. And I think part of the reason why Taylor has had such a hard time struggling with this, with her identity, with her sound, with her voice, is that her harshest critics don't let her be safe. We went through that whole dilemma last year. Remember when Taylor finally endorsed political candidates during the midterms? I think I did a segment on this. There was a lot of pressure for Taylor to get involved in the political arena. And she wanted to stay out of it because her bread and butter is in the South, in the Bible Belt. And I'm sure she has as many red voters as she does blue voters. So it's only recently that she's taken a stand politically, that she's advocated for certain causes, and that she's endorsed political candidates. But it's like she wanted to ride the middle and no one let her. For whatever reason, whether it's purely artistic, like, oh, you just make safe pop music. How dare you win album of the year at the Grammys? How dare you, uh, you know, make silly pop songs in the face of Kendrick Lamar's great socially progressive art? How dare you? And so she's attempted to step outside the box. Taylor can't come to the phone right now. Old Taylor's dead, baby. And critics responded to that even more harshly. So, look, I'm okay with Taylor being McDonald's because someone's got to do it. That is necessary work. As a society, we will always crave mainstream art. We will always crave consensus music. 
Because if you have a senior prom, if you have a wedding, if you have a picnic, if you go out to the club, you got to play music that everyone's okay with. So there is, of course, a place for the rebels. There is a place for the fringe. There is a place for the experimental. And that will always be music that I champion. But I'm also going to back Taylor Swift. I'm going to back Katy Perry. I'm going to back Miley Cyrus. I'm going to back Ariana Grande. Because this is art that we demand and, frankly, art that we need. And if done by the right people, it can be art with a tremendous amount of value. You heard it here first, folks. Nico DiGregorio, August 27, 2019, pledges his allegiance to poptimism. I love Lover. Sue me. I love it. It's middle of the road. It's cheap. It's disposable. It's barbecue music. It's poolside music. It's beach music. But Taylor Swift is good at that shit. This is where her skill set lies. And I'd much rather have her working on the mainstream pop music than I would some of these other clowns that I saw in the VMAs the other night. Seriously, listen to this record. Again, it's middle of the road. It's unoffensive. It's barely political. I mean, there's a pro-LGBT track on it. Um, There are some feminist undertones. The Dixie Chicks are on the album, which I thought was quite interesting. But um, again, nothing too political. It's not like there's a song called Medicare for All on it. (laughs) This is where she belongs. This is her lane. I hope she stays in it. Good on you, Taylor Swift. You have the cultured seal of approval. All right, we're taking a break. When we come back, movies, 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 and actually quite a bit of television, that line is starting to blur. And that's the interesting thing we're going to talk about as we discuss the D23 Expo. Disney's annual fan convention had a number of announcements worth discussing, and it's coming up after this break. Stick around. Cultured will be right back. Um, so it's been a rough week for the Disney Corporation. Well, I guess it's as rough a week as you can have while still being the number one media conglomerate on the planet, right? (laughs) So cry me a river, I guess. But uh, still, a number of negative news stories have hit the wire about Disney over the past, I would say, week and a half. And the most prominent was this Spider-Man news. And I discussed it briefly last week, but the news was breaking as I was recording the podcast. So I didn't have a ton of time to dig into the details. I just read that deadline report and ad-libbed a quick monologue. Um, But people are really freaking out about that. It's a surprising reaction. I I was really shocked how upset fanboys were. So much so that Tom Holland actually addressed the news this past weekend. So uh, there's a bit of a panic surrounding Spider-Man going back to Sony, and I'm not entirely sure why, because I'm pretty sure Disney still has the other 30 to 40 biggest superhero properties on the planet. But anyway, yeah, Spider-Man's not going to be part of Disney. For now, I'm sure the news may change within the next week or so. If I were to make a prediction, I would say that Disney will indeed have at least one more Spider-Man film under their belt. Just a shot in the dark. But anyway, that happened. And then there was this report that Disney was perhaps fudging revenue numbers to show to shareholders. So that affected the stock price of the company. This is all in the weeds stuff. Long story short, Disney needed a big weekend at the D23 conference. 
which, if you're not familiar, is the annual gathering of Disney fans. It is a corporately sponsored fan convention, which I find so hilarious. In the ongoing tale that is our Orwellian dystopia, the Disney Corporation running, operating, and financing its own fan convention is so fucking funny. It's so good. It's so rich. They own everything, including the unofficial stuff. So Disney has its own fan club, and they put on this D23 summit, and it's essentially their own version of Comic-Con. Whatever they didn't announce at Comic-Con, they're announcing it here. And the big focus, of course, because this is the big focus of the year, and I would imagine the next two or three years among Disney executives, is the Disney Plus platform. It was put on full display this weekend. Disney Plus will be debuting November 12th of this year at a $6.99 price point or $69.99 for the entire year. In fact, they announced this other bundle. You can pay $140 for a three-year deal for less than $4 a month. So that's $3.92 a month, $140.97 for three years. Um, Incredibly competitive price point. This is going to be the big pop culture story of the year. The success or failure of Disney Plus will say a lot about the future of the industry. So far, the response has been largely positive. I haven't heard many negative um, reactions to the Disney Plus news. The price point seems right. The material seems right. The content seems very flashy. Um, And it's hard to imagine some of these shows failing. We got, of course, the first trailer for Star Wars The Mandalorian, the miniseries created and written by Jon Favreau and directed by a number of great young up-and-coming directors. You know, it's hard to see that show failing. It's hard to see The Falcon and The Winter Soldier failing. It's hard to see WandaVision failing. You know, this just feels so right. And I'll be interested to see what the subscriber numbers look like. I'll be interested to see if audience members are a little worn down by the streaming boom. If they feel like this is a subscription one too many, they just don't have the extra seven bucks lying around to add to their Netflix, Hulu, and Amazon subscriptions. And I'll also be interested to see if this bites into the business of some of those other companies. Obviously, Hulu is owned by Disney, It um, was just bought out in the Fox acquisition. So you can bundle Hulu and Disney Plus once that platform launches. I think you can do Disney Plus, Hulu, and ESPN Plus at a $12.99 price point. But something like Amazon, something like Netflix, is this going to take up a fair share of the market? I truly don't know. I suspect not. I suspect that Netflix and Amazon have enough of a head start They have enough um, uh, customer loyalty built up and enough goodwill in terms of its content production that viewers are going to have a hard time parting ways with Stranger Things. They're going to have a hard time parting ways with Mindhunter or Orange is the New Black. And Amazon, you're already paying for it if you ship items to your house. Like if you buy mops, if you buy paper towels, you can also stream um, uh, Fleabag. So... (laughs) Hard to imagine that Disney Plus would cut into their model. And I also just think, given the slate that was announced this weekend, and we'll go through it bit by bit, 
this is very family focused. There's nothing on this platform with uh, a rating of higher than PG-13, or at least that's what it seems like. You know, they they went into detail on the WandaVision show. Catherine Hahn's going to be in that. Um, they also announced that Wyatt Russell's going to be in Falcon and the Winter Soldier. But those look like extensions of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, more so than their own thing. I know when Daredevil and Jessica Jones and the Netflix Marvel Universe launched, that felt very different. That was a purposeful shift to, like, soft R-rated programming. Like, TV-15, I think, was the term that Netflix coined. It's not quite PG-13. It's not quite R. It's smack dab in the middle. Um, And that seemed like an attempt to do gritty, small stories in New York City. This, as Kevin Feige announced on stage at D23, is just longer versions of the same. Um, And, by the way, he announced, in addition to updates on The Eternals and uh, in addition to updates on Black Widow and Falcon and Winter Soldier, three new Marvel Disney Plus TV shows. They are Ms. Marvel. That won't be confusing at all. It ain't Captain Marvel. It ain't Mr. Marvel. It's Ms. Marvel. Can we come up with a better name? Ms. Marvel. Uh, debuting on Disney Plus at some point. Along with Moon Knight. I'm serious. This is a real superhero. They're making a TV show about this shit. Moon Knight. Evidently, he's a Batman-esque vigilante figure. That may or may not have been possessed by the moon god. Or he could just be a crazy schizophrenic. Moon Knight coming to the Disney Plus platform when you pay seven bucks a month. And She-Hulk. It ain't He-Hulk. It's She-Hulk. Because women can get just as angry. She-Hulk. I don't know. I'll watch them all. I have no reaction on that whatsoever. Uh, They also announced Black Panther 2, which is a no-brainer. May 6, 2022. Kind of shocking that it's taking them this much time. Because I know when Iron Man first came out and Captain America first came out, and even Spider-Man Homecoming was released, Marvel spared no time pumping out the sequel. They knew they had gold on their hands, and and they wanted to strike while the iron was hot. It's kind of interesting... Black Panther, the original, was released uh, in 2018. And now we're not getting Black Panther 2 till 2022. Yeah, it was 2018, right? Last year was when Black Panther came out, right? Yeah, I am getting that right. Okay. Yeah, so four years seems like a long time. Ryan Coogler coming back, the original cast coming back. It'll be a massive hit, I'm sure. Um, yeah, it, it, uh, it just seems like a, a, a big reprieve. I don't know. So, here are some of the shows coming to the platform. And again, this to me signifies, oh yeah, this is going to be family-friendly entertainment. This will be in addition to your Netflix subscription. If you still want adult fare, or if you don't like kids programming or PG-13 programming, um, you know, Disney Plus is not for you. So, the world, according to Jeff Goldblum, is, I guess, Anthony Bourdain, but Jeff Goldblum. <laughs> Jeff Goldblum travels the world and learns things. High School Musical, the musical, the series. 
I'll repeat that. High School Musical, colon, the musical, colon, the series. A real thing. Do you remember how big the High School Musical movies were? I can only speak from my experience in middle school, but when High School Musical 1 and 2 debuted on Disney Channel and then High School Musical 3 hit theaters, it was all anyone discussed. I personally have not seen a High School Musical film, um, and I don't know if the demand is still there, but that is coming to Disney Plus in the form of a miniseries. Lady and the Tramp, not a miniseries, but an original film hitting the Disney Plus platform. So it ain't just going to be secondary Marvel characters and Star Wars spinoffs. Feature-length films, one that you would think would see a movie theater at some point. No, is going straight to streaming. Bold move, interesting move. I don't, uh, I don't fault it. I think this is actually the right move. You have a lot of ground to make up on Netflix uh, since they're like doing a number of theatrical releases for some of their movies. This uh, We're going to talk about that in a second um, on the podcast today, but this is a big fall for Netflix, a massive fall, um, and we'll see how that shakes out. But Lady and the Tramp, live-action remake, Tessa Thompson, Justin Theroux, coming to Netflix. I'm sorry, coming to Disney Plus because there is no more shame in the world anymore. Um, Noel. An original film with Anna Kendrick, Bill Hader, and Billy Eichner about Santa's daughter, November 12, 2019. <laughs> uh, oh, so silly. So silly. Uh, Lizzie McGuire back. Hillary Duff. 15 going on 30. What was that movie? No, 13 going on 30. Lizzie McGuire. Wow. Now I'm old. I just turned 24 last week. It didn't hit me then that I'm 24. It just hit me now that I'm 24. They're doing a Lizzie McGuire reboot for the Disney Plus Network. I'll read the description. Lizzie is 30, flirty, and thriving in New York City. She's got her dream job and dream boyfriend, but she's still got a lot to figure out on the way. Hillary Duff. Man, I had the biggest crush on her back in elementary school. Oh, Hillary Duff. Never watched that show, but uh, her and Amanda Bynes. It's so funny what happened to both of them, huh? I was in love with Amanda Bynes in elementary school. Still am in a weird way. Does that make me a pervert? <laughs> uh, they officially announced the Rogue One prequel series with Diego Luna following Cassian Andor and K2SO. Um, yeah, it's a thing that's actually happening. Alan Tudyk is reprising his role as the droid from Rogue One. I remember nothing about Cassian Andor. I don't know if I like that character or I don't because Rogue One is a horribly forgettable movie. Um, but that's an official announcement. Along with the Ewan McGregor, Obi-Wan spinoff prequel, this is happening Ewan McGregor reprising his role as Obi-Wan Kenobi, presumably to fill in the gaps between Episode 3 and Episode 4 of Star Wars. It seems like a lot more people are interested in this than I am. But then again, a lot more people hate the new Star Wars movies than I do. Um, so, cool? Ewan McGregor is definitely the best part of those uh, those prequel movies. Definitely the best performance by a mile. Maybe him and Mace Windu, that's it. So, okay, I just feel like, here's the thing, Obi-Wan 
is now well-treaded territory. You had Alec Guinness in the original films. He came back as a ghost. There was a mystique around him, a mysteriousness, a hidden identity that made the character that much more intriguing. And then they do these, these prequels, and Ewan McGregor's fine, and he's charismatic, but it's fleshed out that character so much. I feel like we know everything we need to know about Obi-Wan. I don't care what he was doing between episodes three and four. You know, let's, let's go somewhere different with this. Which is why I'm so much more excited for The Mandalorian, which, incidentally, just released their first trailer. It's true. Werner Herzog's in it. Giancarlo Esposito's in it. Carl Weathers is in it. It's happening. Um, look, it's going to be another Star Wars thing. That trailer definitely seemed different, though. That trailer... I, I should say this. The cast alone is really the draw. The trailer looked awesome, but this cast has such street cred among movie fans. The fact that Werner Herzog is playing a bounty hunter warlord is just incredible. Just incredible. That trailer gave me all the goosebumps. Could be the most anticipated Star Wars thing of the fall for me. Uh, anything else really that came out? They're doing Star Wars, The Clone Wars, WandaVision, I said. Oh, yeah, what if they teased an episode of their upcoming animated series, What If, which is Marvel's version of, uh, of fan fiction? We talked about that in the past. We're living in a dystopia, man. The end times are here. Disney is working on its own fan fiction. Uh, I guess the only thing left to discuss is that Footage from the uh, uh, the Rise of Skywalker, huh? Ray with the red lightsaber. Oh, we got the chills. Double edged lightsaber. You think Ray comes into contact with uh, with freaking Darth? What is it, Darth Maul? Yeah. Phantom Menace. Phantom Menace back. Dude, it's so weird to me that that poster has the Emperor's face on it. I cannot believe we're actually doing this. I know the laugh was supposed to be an ominous thing, you know, and it was supposed to get us excited in the trailer. I didn't think he was actually going to be the villain in this film. Wow. The Emperor is plastered on this poster with Kylo Ren and Rey fighting each other. Everybody settled down. Rey ain't turning to the dark side. This is classic J.J. Abrams, isn't it? It's so predictable. I'm really... Oh, man, I gotta be honest with you. I love Last Jedi. I kinda like Force Awakens. Man, I'm I'm really getting fatigued. This is really starting to bother me. I have a bad feeling about Rise of Skywalker. Just feels like we're abandoning everything from the original movie. Feels like we're retreading well-worn uh, paths at this point. I don't get it. I don't get why the Emperor is in this movie at all. Now, I know opening night, I will think differently. I'm sure I will cry at the end of this film as I did the previous two. But man, we're actually doing this. We're actually giving Rey a double-edged red lightsaber, and she's actually going to team up with the Emperor, but then double-cross him and throw him into a pit for the second time as he shoots lightning out of his fingers. We're really doing this. You know, we get what we deserve, people. (laughs) 
This is the life that we asked for, and now it's ours. Be careful what you wish for. All right. That was the D23 conference. That's all I really have to say about it. Oh, the one other thing I wanted to note, these television shows, it was announced this week, will be released on a weekly basis. This is purposely, I would say, intentionally uh, to counter Netflix's strategy of dropping the entire season in one day. Um, I, I don't know. I don't know how this is going to play out. I really don't know. I feel like these shows are a little more buzzy. You know what I'm saying? Like when Netflix puts out the first season of Mindhunter, you kind of have to put the whole season up so people can get into it. I mean, there is often high-profile talent attached to Netflix shows, and occasionally they'll have a brand name um, in the case of, like, the Marvel shows. But you kind of have to give people a chance to binge it because that's Netflix's model. They try to lure you in and addict you. When the episode ends, they automatically start the next one. You have, like, five seconds to exit the app before you're stuck there for another hour. Right, that's how Netflix operates. So their strategy of putting up seasons in one day works for them, and it allowed them to build this massive content library and subscriber base, and I would never fault their strategy. But some of these Disney shows, because they have pre-existing IP attached to them, because Star Wars fans are going to watch The Mandalorian religiously, and they're going to finish the season no matter what they think of it, this seems like the right move. This is a way to build up hype build up the conversation, build up word of mouth, and slowly allow subscribers to trickle in. Again, this just all feels right. This almost feels doomed to fail. We'll see. Man, they've done nothing wrong. Disney can do no wrong. They're just so good at this. And it bothers me because I kind of want these other players to get in the game. I appreciate what Netflix is trying to do with Roma and with The Irishman, and with Ballad of Buster Scruggs above Disney's Lady and the Tramp remake. But still, how can I deny just expert craftsmanship at work? Disney Plus, November 12th, this will be far from the final time we talk about it. Disney Plus season is about to hit us in a big way. All right, this is Cultured. When we come back, more bits and pieces of pop culture news. Can't wait to talk about... El Camino, a Breaking Bad movie. It's coming. Stick around. Cultured after the break. All right, let's get back to Netflix. Because after all, the king stays king. For the time being. I know Disney is hanging out on Netflix's corner, but this is still his block. He still runs this shit. Still Netflix's game to lose. I want to talk about some interesting news that came out this weekend. Um, And I guess we'll just start with El Camino. El Camino, a Breaking Bad movie, while this is actually happening, I cannot believe this. I really, I truly cannot believe this. This was reported on a few months ago. There was a script that leaked, perhaps uh, a Breaking Bad sequel movie involving Jesse Pinkman and maybe Walter White, who knows, was in the works from Vince Gilligan. It would allegedly be a co-production of AMC and Netflix, but Netflix would have the exclusive rights to stream the movie before airing on AMC. 
And I believe that is still the plan. Perhaps it's a simultaneous debut. I'm not sure exactly what's happening here. But the trailer that I saw is, um, is, is very heavy on the Netflix thing. I didn't hear a word out about AMC. I didn't hear a word out of AMC's mouth this week. They're, they are presenting this as a Netflix original production. And uh, it's coming very soon, October 11th, 2019. That's a month and a half away. It was dropped in a surprise fashion. The trailer leaked out on social media, but initially it, it just sort of debuted on the platform. And there's a, a bit of uh, mystery surrounding how it got there. Some speculated that some idiot working at the Netflix office accidentally listed El Camino, a Breaking Bad movie, on the platform. Um, so who knows? This might have been announced even sooner, or I'm sorry, even closer to its release date. Um, but yeah, it features Skinny Pete talking to the cops, saying, I'm not going to tell you where Jesse Pinkman is, and we're off to the races. I'm really surprised AMC didn't keep this for themselves. I guess that's my big takeaway. Even when I saw the news leading up to it, I, I did not believe that Netflix was going to take ownership of this movie. But Breaking Bad is this weird case because Breaking Bad in many ways is a traditional television production. Sony Pictures Television created Breaking Bad in whatever it was, 2009, and it was a little engine that could for AMC. It slowly built word of mouth and it did well at the Emmys and it aired weekly and people consumed it weekly for the most part. And then something strange happened at about season four of the show because it had a cult audience but did not have a mainstream audience. People started watching it on Netflix. And now, I would say among my peers, those that are not really into television, that just sort of consume this stuff casually, if you ask them what network produced Breaking Bad, they would probably say Netflix. Or if they don't say Netflix, they at least think of it as a Netflix show. I know that was the case for me. I started watching Breaking Bad because it was on Netflix. I binged it, I caught up, and then I transitioned to AMC, watched it week to week. It's in many ways the first show that I fell in love with on Netflix. It's the first show that, that, uh, that binging really exposed me to. And if I did not have the ability to binge it, in that, in that convenient fashion, I'm not sure I would have finished Breaking Bad, and I'm not sure it would have become the phenomenon it now is with a spinoff and a sequel movie, both in the can. So, yeah, it's, it's a really interesting, unique study, and I know Vince Gilligan has hinted at this before. He is truly indebted to Netflix, because the show would not be what it was if you just watched it Sunday nights on AMC with no on-demand, no streaming option whatsoever. Uh, still though, this is some valuable IP, man. This is some valuable content that I would not want to part ways with considering the state of affairs at AMC networks, considering that I haven't had a big hit in like four years that doesn't have the name walking dead or breaking bad in the title. Ugh, I'd be very hesitant to give this up. I'm sure Netflix paid a lot of money for it. I'm sure they took a lot of the risk. I'm sure AMC will show this thing on a nightly basis for about a month. Still feels weird. Feels weird that they would play ball. I'm not sure what AMC has to gain by this. Why not just put Breaking Bad... I'm sorry, Better Call Saul on on Netflix then. It's, it's strange. Considering AMC doesn't have anything other than Pulp Fiction 
and Shawshank Redemption reruns. Um, <laughs> I would not want to give up El Camino. That being said, it's going to be a massive phenomenon. I'm shocked they keep this secret. Um, it, it's it's quite amazing in this era of leaks. You can't take a shit without the world knowing about it these days. And somehow they filmed an entire sequel movie with Aaron Paul and perhaps Brian Cranston. We shall still see. Um, and that it was in the can before the news even broke. Like before that script leaked, it was already shot. So, uh, wow. Can't believe it's happening. El Camino, a Breaking Bad movie. I think it's probably unnecessary. I see no reason why we would have to revisit Jesse Pinkman's story, but Better Call Saul is like the greatest show of my lifetime. So whatever you want to do, Vince Gilligan, here's my money. Take it. Other interesting Netflix news just released today. Netflix is making a big Oscars push this year. This is going to be another narrative that we follow. And the story on Variety this morning um, only adds more fuel to that fire. Ten movies on Netflix's fall schedule will see a theatrical release for various reasons. Of course, the most prominent is The Irishman, which, as we found out today, will hit select theaters November 1st, and then will hit Netflix on November 27th. So you have a three-week window if you want to see The Irishman in theaters. That's your chance before the world can see it from the comfort of their own home. Interestingly enough, AMC, Landmark, some of the bigger movie chains, movie theater chains, will not be playing ball with Netflix. Their point of view is that if they do it for Netflix, they're going to have to do it for every other major outlet. Fox, Disney, Universal, Warner Brothers, they're all going to want a piece of that action because everyone is building their streaming service. All these companies love on demand because the vast majority of of the, uh, of movie grosses of the amount of money that a movie generates is made in the first two weekends. So there's no reason why they shouldn't put out Avengers Endgame for three weeks in the theaters and then make it available on Disney+. Plus. But AMC and Landmark have keenly protected their business model by saying, no, if you're going to give us your movie, we'll put it in your theaters. We will give voice to the Netflix original content but you got to give it to us for at least three months. That, of course, is not feasible for Netflix. Um, you know, they want the Irishman to be seen on their platform. They want to gain subscribers with a big property like that. So I, I guess they agreed to disagree. There were tense negotiations for a few weeks. So there will be only a limited theatrical run for the Irishman. And they're doing a similar strategy with some other movies, including The Laundromat the Steven Soderbergh, Meryl Streep, Panama Papers dramedy. What a great sentence. That is coming out in theaters September 7th and to Netflix October 18th. Dull Media is My Name. Eddie Murphy returns to the big screen in a starring role. That's coming to theaters October 7th and Netflix October 25th. The King, starring Timothy Chalamet as a king which of course is like uh, is a totally redundant sentence because Timothy Chalamet is already a king. October 11th in theaters, November 1st on Netflix. Earthquake Bird, Alicia Vikander, the most beautiful woman on the planet in a crime drama. Theaters, November 1st, Netflix, November 15th. 
Marriage Story, perhaps my most anticipated movie of the fall, directed by Noah Baumbach with Scarlett Johansson and Adam Driver, the divorce drama slash comedy. You know, the Noah Baumbach, Greta Gerwig voice will be on full display. That's coming to theaters November 6th and Netflix December 6th. Looks for a major Oscar campaign. And then some other animated movies called Claws, I Lost My Body, uh, both of which I am not familiar with, but uh, there you go, getting theatrical releases as well, along with um, two other indie movies, including Atlantics and The Two Popes, starring Anthony Hopkins and Jonathan Price. Netflix feels like it's dominated the television game. It has put cable not out of business, but certainly on the back burner of people's attention. Network television is basically dead. The movie distribution model has forever been changed. Now it's time to gain prestige. Now it's time to take home the gold. It's time to get some shiny trophies. So that's what this push is. And I will say this. Netflix seems to have a bit of a chip on its shoulder after the Oscars last year. They have a bit of resentment toward the Academy and toward old Hollywood after getting screwed for Best Picture. Roma was the prohibitive favorite to win Best Picture at the Oscars, it lost to Green Book, which most critics agree is a far worse movie. Um, there was a lot of controversy surrounding that film, and we've litigated that to the cows came home. Um, but Roma was supposed to be the movie. I predicted it on this podcast. I thought this was going to signal a new era for Hollywood. It was going to be a big step forward for Netflix. And I think, I at least interpret it this way, that... Certain Oscar voters, certain older Hollywood types, certain executives, certain directors felt like Netflix was a threat to the old way of doing things. They thought it was a threat to old Hollywood sensibilities, a threat to the distribution model. Most voters, I think, prefer watching films in a movie theater than they do on television screens or iPads or iPhones. And so that led to a very complicated dynamic. So Green Book wins Best Picture, and now Netflix is doubling down. But they've doubled down in an interesting way. They're now trying to get more movies into theaters, not less movies into theaters, in an effort to appease Oscar voters and to say, look, we respect the fond tradition of Hollywood cinema as much as you do. We're putting these films in theaters first. Then you can stream them after the fact. But The Irishman is a big screen movie. Marriage Story is a big screen movie. The Laundromat is a big screen movie. And they deserve the big screen format. So we'll see. It's a big play. Another interesting behind the scene dynamic. If you're interested in how the sausage is made, that's what we'll be following for the next several months as really Oscar season heats up. Oh, it's that time of year again, baby. Uh, if you're into that stuff, Cultured is the podcast for you and will continue to be that. But I hope that I can bring something else to the table. I hope that this was a fruitful Taylor Swift conversation and a fruitful Star Wars conversation and that whatever your engagement with the Hollywood machine, that this podcast, whatever the hell it is, is helpful to you in some way and entertaining and enjoyable. Um, so this has been another episode of Cultured. And I thank you so much for being here. Uh, We will be back, of course, next week with more news, more analysis, more hot takes for smart people. 
Um, and you can see all of our podcasts on the website, too many thoughts, media.com or TMT.media. That's where you can find. Why is this a thing? The movie hall of fame, the Nico show, two cents radio fantasy book of the month. Most of which debuting new episodes this week. The pneumonia is gone. I'm done vacationing. We're getting back into the swing of things. This week we'll be talking about Piranha 2, The Spawning, on Why Is This a Thing, as part of Piranha Conda Month, that movie incidentally directed by James Cameron. And that was a real fun podcast that's already in the bank coming out tomorrow. Movie Hall of Fame, I'll be doing with Adam, reviewing the movies of 1997 and inducting one of them into the Movie Hall of Fame. That should be a ton of fun. That's coming this Thursday, Nico show this Friday, and perhaps a Two Cents Radio somewhere in between. And uh, I do need to talk about Andrew Luck in some forum. So I'm going to have to figure out a way to do that. (laughs) Maybe the Nico show will come uh, a little sooner than planned. Because that's all I want to talk about these days. Along with Netflix's Oscar strategy and the Disney Plus price point, Andrew Luck's surprise retirement. The only thing I care about in life. I love you. Y'all the best. Please come back next week. Let's do this again sometime because it's a lot of fun for me. Come back next week because then and only then will you and I get culture. See ya.